afternoon and good evening to the rest of you guys. We are back. I am in my mother's basement and we are here for another episode of Bitcoin Magazine Live. Uh, I am joined today by our guest, Todd Alt, the founder and president of Alt Management Group, as well as BitNile. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm great, Q. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, for those who aren't aware of sort of who Todd is and what, what you have done, uh, can you give a little bit of background on sort of your work with the management group? Well, I've been, I've been uh, at Alton Company, a private company, and, and the public company BitNow, which is on the New York American. I've been on Wall Street for about 33 years, sort of not off and on. There was like a short hiatus. But for the most part, I've bought and sold companies. I was the founder of Patient Safety. I was a large owner of Jack in the Box at one time, Taco Cabana. Um, I've had a lot of exits, and, and uh, we've been building a, a Bitcoin company. Uh, we've been really building a holding company, uh, which you can see we're, our stock, our price is pretty depressed. We have a lot of assets that people, I don't, I think no matter what we say, they don't really understand it. But one of the core things is that I bought digital power back in late 2016 and it made power supplies. And I learned pretty quickly how much power was needed for Bitcoin. And that piqued my interest. I actually started mining Bitcoin in 2012 with a friend of mine, Crypto Joe, um, who's uh, who works for me still, and uh, trust me, we've we've made a lot of mistakes. So we're <laughs> we are not experts in this. We by far we've made a lot of mistakes. I, I love the humility because I don't feel like anyone in this space really believes that they are an expert, and if they say they are, they're just full of shit. Um, but I want to ask you, Todd. You mentioned the fact that you guys started mining back in 2012. How were you first? Was it Crypto Joe that introduced you to Bitcoin or how were you introduced to Bitcoin? He really didn't introduce it to me. He was a part of some gaming thing called Immortal. And uh, we, he used CPUs at our office. Um, I, I don't really understand how it was done back then. He just used a basic, what looked like a basic computer, maybe a little more power. Um, I think back in the early days, it wasn't as hard to mine. And uh, unfortunately, we weren't as... Uh, is diligent about keeping it back then as we should have been. Oh no. Yeah, we we uh one guy that worked for us had about 5000 coins sold it for 5 bucks about 25 grand. So, oh. Yeah, we've had some uh we've had some pretty horrific uh stupidity, you know. Hey, we it's not been uh not been pleasant that part of it, you know, because you later on, you know, if you don't understand what you're doing in the beginning, um but Bitcoin wasn't Bitcoin in the beginning. When it was 5 bucks, it was it was a novelty. It was something that was like, I mean, I don't know how familiar you guys are, but like you used to have to like um, just transfer your Bitcoin and then people would send you cash in the mail. It wasn't really a, it wasn't really a acceptable behavior. If you know what I'm saying, I didn't do it, but some people that work for us would ship off the transfer the Bitcoin to a wallet and then um, hope the cash came back. I'm curious, in these early days, were you and your team looking at Bitcoin as sort of an asset class, a tech vehicle, or what was it to you guys, just fun internet money? It was a novelty at the time. I don't think anyone really, we on the team really understood it. Um, I, I feel like it was like a novelty out of 2008, you know, sort of debacle. Um, it was really a novelty. I, I, I actually, as a Wall Street guy, sort of like, who pooed it pretty hard, you know, and unfortunately wall street's very traditional and you see that with Charlie Munger and uh, Warren Buffett, you see this mentality of like that, you know, how could that possibly be worth anything? And you, you see that sort of ingrained in, in old school behavior. And um, it, I think it wasn't really until the use case happened that I started under, understanding that, this is really a, a, a more pure asset and sort of not corruptible. Cause in the beginning stages of, I, I think about the Mount Gox days, and I will get a little bit further along where the exchange was hacked. I think people confused that Bitcoin wasn't hacked, but the exchange was hacked. Right. And it, it, it took a little bit of like digging to understand that Bitcoin's never been hacked itself. The people that control the Bitcoin, They've done stupid things. They've allowed themselves to be hacked. Now, by the way, I shouldn't say stupid things because we've been under a denial of service attack for four days. So we we got to make sure that we're not stupid either and let our Bitcoin get hacked either. Although we do a custodian at a, at a major custodian in New York. So 
Sorry about that. Uh, just real quick, speaking of denial of service attacks, have you uh, seen Michael Saylor's proposal for Twitter and also just any platform using Bitcoin and Lightning as a way to filter out signal and good faith internet actors from all the rest by way of a small Bitcoin deposit of like 100 or 1,000 sats? Yeah, I mean, I, I do like the idea a lot. I, I He is a... Uh, Michael Saylor is a... Um, literally as everyone probably knows an mit graduate so he's like truly a rocket scientist he's he's a he he comes up with concepts that obviously you have to i mean i admire the guy um he's actually one of the reasons why i got so um interested in reading his stuff over time and and believe it or not i tried to convince my company to put bitcoin on the balance sheet a lot sooner um they were not comfortable and then of course he did and then tesla did and, and i we just thought it would be me too to announce that we were doing the same thing and we we really wanted to be in mining so um but he he's had a big influence on on some of my decision making which is a him and a guy named greg foss um <laughs> it, the show uh, yeah greg has had a huge influence on me i i uh so what what I what I think about when I think about what Sailor's talking about with a little deposit is he's basically talking about digital recognition. He's talking about like uh, in sort of the purest form that you have to you have to verify who you are effectively. I'm so conceptually I don't know how it would work, but I, I think that he he's usually onto something that probably makes a lot of sense. Um, I read I read the Lightning proposal. Um, but only on a few of his posts. And I think it's interesting. He also put out a proposal about, um, I think that's the same proposal actually, where you get an orange certification. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like the concept a lot. Todd, I'm, I'm curious, you're, you're talking a little bit about the fact that MicroStrategy put some Bitcoin on reserves. Tesla did the same. You guys explored that possibly. In the article that I read of yours uh, about six months ago now, you urged the Federal Reserve to actually go out and buy half a trillion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Uh, I'd love for you to expand on that. Like take this opportunity to speak directly to Chairman Powell, <clears throat> lead him to uh, the promised land. Yeah, so if you look at what the Chinese did, we, we were already committed to mining at that point. You know, we started mining in 2000, I think 17, 18, really kind of blew it with S S9s and kind of, you know, made some mistakes again. But we eventually bought our own data center. and. When we committed to mining, we saw the Chinese pull out and basically say it wasn't going to be legal. Uh, whoever at the administration basically said, we're not going to make it illegal, effectively told the world, we're going to want to dominate in that space, right? And if you think about dominating in the space of mining and allowing Bitcoin transactions and regulating Bitcoin transactions, and then you look at China going to Kazakhstan and other places that are unstable, the most stable part of the world, I mean, contrary to what a lot of people say that are younger, the U.S. is the most stable part of the world, right? It's the most governed by law. And so there's no better opportunity for the U.S. to lead than to put some asset class on their balance sheet that's going to say the U.S. is modern. The U.S. is going to make sure that it has assets on its balance sheet that make sense. They buy all kinds of mortgage-backed securities. They let them float off over time. They, 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 the Fed has, through QE and other things, uh, supported the markets during very poor times. And for them to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet and say, hey, we're going to acknowledge this asset class. We're going to be a leader here, and we're going to encourage the U.S. to be leaders in financial products. If you, if you believe, like Greg does and others, that this is a $2, two billion, or I mean, a $2 million a coin asset class, sort of like a in terms of the trillions, in terms of the size, $45 trillion or bigger, they could lead the way by really taking a big spot of Bitcoin and put it on their balance sheet and leaving it alone. And, um, it, and my case in point is, is they do this now. They, they buy and invest large asset classes now into things that otherwise they would be able to, So just think about it supporting the community, supporting the U.S. in being a leader in this space. And also, uh, you know, basically sending a signal to everybody that we're going to continue to be a leader. Because if you look at history, historically, you know, there was a time where, you know, Rome was the leader in terms of finance. And then over time, the British became the leaders in finance. And then it's been New York. 
And slowly it's been migrating to Asia as really being the dominant players in finance, Hong Kong, Singapore, et cetera. But the Chinese have made major mistakes there. And I think there's an opening. Uh, I think there's an opening for the US to say, we're gonna modernize and we're gonna uh, continue to be leaders in the space and extend the leadership of the New York financial system. And that's because the Chinese are making mistakes basically, they're penalizing their own companies. They're penalizing their citizens. They're saying, hey, own our digital currency and you can't own Bitcoin. And I think that in the long run that hurts the Chinese. And so it, effectively, if you wanna be a leader here, you gotta have it on your balance sheet. I do want to dive a lot more into China and mining, but I want to stay on the U.S. for just a little bit longer. You know, we see a lot of conversations out of D.C., different politicians taking multiple sides. We just had the mayor of New York now announce a strange new ruling regarding Bitcoin mining and them only being able to use clean energy to mine Bitcoin in New York City. Uh, talk to us a little bit about maybe some domestic legislative hurdles that you're keeping an eye on that could inhibit this growth. So we have a, a, a plant in Dwajak that is uh, 617,000 square feet and can go up to around 330 megs. We're not there yet. We're working on it. Um, it's mainly nuclear power, but I think, I think that this, if I were to get to the polit political side of it, I think this is a political hot you know, football, but it's not really true. Um, I mean, you think about the delivery of fiat currency around the world, around the U.S. by uh, armored trucks, right? that's not an efficient process. They're not taking electric trucks to deliver this fiat currency. They're not using electricity to print the fiat currency. They're not using electricity to cut down the trees to make the pulp. It's just a, this is a nonsensical argument. It's not really true. It's made up. The, the footprint uh, for Bitcoin mining and it being somehow a power grab and yeah, it uses a lot of power, but relative to the size and scope of it, it's nothing. It, this is a, it's, to me, it's a misnomer. Now, I may be somewhat biased here, but I think that uh, we are, to answer your question, we are nervous about it. And so we are looking pretty heavily in areas where there's hydro, Wisconsin, Maine, other locations where there's hydro. We're, we, we envision that the, the politics are going to catch up and we're going to wake up one day with, uh, you know, you get a tax if you mine in Texas or you get a tax if you mine if you're not a certain percentage of of renewable fuel. So we're aware of the stupidity. We don't. I, I think it's stupidity. You're you're preaching to the choir here. We keep pounding the drum that these politicians are just talking about Bitcoin to grift for votes more than anything else. Well, you Q, you know, really they do this because they whenever they whenever a politician says to you, "Oh, Bitcoin can be used for nefarious purposes," I always say, "Right," and that's right. Fiat's never used for anything bad. No one's ever used fiat for anything poor. It's it's. This is the same argument they had about Tesla, where they said, wow, well, the Tesla car caught on fire, the batteries caught on fire. I can tell you personally uh, about, the, you know, uh, car fires that have happened to, to one of my friends and the combustion engine, what happens to that? It, they're, they're simply just demagoguing it and basically saying, hey, look what's happening here. And they treat the public like they're idiots, which fortunately there are people like Sailor and Foss and yourself and others that are saying, hey, let's pay attention to the reality that Bitcoin is not. In fact, you could argue that Bitcoin is so tra uh, so traceable that they are, you can't really recover dollars. It's really difficult to recover dollars. You don't look at serial numbers. Someone at the bank's not looking at every serial number. It's just nonsense. But Bitcoin, a lot of recovery regarding nefarious activities. I don't think it's is, is I think it's more uh, transparent than anything out there. I mean, Sure, you don't have an identification on the wallet to say this is Bob Smith's wallet, but you know you can trace where it came from. And there's a lot of smart people out there in tech that are tracking down these people that are using it for nefarious purposes. I love that. I mean, you're you are preaching to the choir. We're we're chatting on the side here, just like you get it. Sure. How many of your clients? don't get it and what are those conversations like you we're gonna we're gonna have a conference uh on may uh, 12th to the 15th one day is a is a bitcoin uh day which is i think the 14th of may and which uh natalie's gonna be there greg foss is gonna be there thomas lee is gonna be there um scaramucci is gonna be there and we're gonna be talking but the, well, the why i bring that up is it's not just a selfless plug is that those people know about bitcoin but the vast majority of people that I meet, and I would, 
you know, I hate throwing out percentages, but in a rare circumstance, I'll say 95% of the people I meet, even in the financial community, don't understand Bitcoin. They just go, I don't understand it. Can you explain it to me? I understand how it has any worth. And they're, they're sort of missing out. And I've, we, we own a platform for, called Earnity.com. We're a 19.9% owner of it. And I dollar cost average into Bitcoin every day. And so recently, some of them have been calling me saying, oh, it's going down. It went down from 43,000 or whatever. Yeah, when I was in Dubai, it went down from 69,000. I tell them, and, and Greg does it, says it better than I do, just you know, think about earning a dollar and taking five cents of that dollar and putting in Bitcoin. I do it every day. I, I, I average into Bitcoin every single day. Um, but to answer your question specifically, most of them are uneducated about it or they're fearful of it. Like there's a, there's a, uh, a big unknown for them. They somehow just see it as eclectic in the sky. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I try to explain to them all the time. I said, what if you couldn't get a green dollar? What if there was no paper in your hand? You would just have an entry into your Chase account and you could sell the money, right? So um, one of the things we're doing is we're putting $100 million over time of Bitcoin into our lender. We're a California licensed lender and we're lending to public companies and we're going to let them borrow money in Bitcoin denomination or in fiat denomination, um, or they can, can, we can convert into their common stock if they can't pay us back or for some reason they want to just keep the cash and let us convert. We lend to a lot of public companies now. It's something I've been doing for years. And I think people notionally do not understand the idea of having a bank. Now, we're not a bank. We're a lending institution, so we don't take deposits. But we're going to, you think about a bank having to put deposits down. We're going to put Bitcoin in and then wrap that Bitcoin. We're going we're gonna to make a loan off the value of the Bitcoin we have, right? And so in theory, we'll be long Bitcoin constantly and we'll be long the loans we make to the public company. So we have the collateral of the Bitcoin, the collateral of the loan we make to the public company, and then we as an, a, an owner are effectively holding Bitcoin and saying, hey, if that Bitcoin goes higher over time, we can even make more loans, right? Think of it to some degree like a margin loan. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to, we're trying to show people that, that Bitcoin can be, um, this is probably, you, you look like a young guy, but if you go back in, um, I want to say in the 80s, um, when Rolling Stone went on, on tour, they insisted that they were paid in, um, they were, uh, they were insisted they were paid in yen, right? And if you think about insisting you're going to get paid in Bitcoin or de dollar denominating that you're going you're gonna to pay your loan back in Bitcoin. Now, that can be a scary proposition right now because that's why we're going to give them an option, fiat or Bitcoin. But as the scary proposition is, is that Bitcoin's too volatile right now. But over time, as it gets accepted, it'll be less volatile. And I see, I see digital loans being made, uh, uh, you know, backed by Bitcoin. I don't know if I probably went off on a little bit of a tangent there. I'm no, sorry, but but Todd, do not apologize. I love yeah. that tangent. I want to like actually ask, and if this is a little bit too much information to you, for you to share publicly, fully, totally fine for you to not answer. I'm curious, what, how much collateralization would you be giving on a scale of like zero to hundred percent for Bitcoin as the collateral right now, right now? If it were a public company and we were comfortable with them, we'd probably give them uh, 70% if they were public, maybe a little more. Um, we don't really do loans to private companies. We specialize in sort of small cap companies under 250 million. Um, but I think you're referring to whether they gave us their Bitcoin as collateral. And I think the difference here is that we're posting the collateral as our lender to demonstrate to people you can borrow from us and we're going to team up with banks that we say to them, we have the collateral, lend us the money backed by our Bitcoin so we can make loans to other companies in fiat or Bitcoin. Got so if you think okay. about a Silvergate or a Signature Bank, what I think you'll see us doing is saying, hey, we got $100 million worth of Bitcoin, and we're going to make offerings against that Bitcoin, but still stay long the Bitcoin, right? So the, the, the Bitcoin collateral is in our account. And therefore, our shareholders benefit from being long Bitcoin while we make loans in, in the traditional world. And I think that more and more, you're going to see uh, Bitcoin become a, a, a marketplace for lending. I know that it exists now, but it's on, on a very small scale. And, and, and denominated in a way that if you have to pay it back in Bitcoin, if you borrowed money at Bitcoin at 40000 
and and Bitcoin were to rally to you know hundred thousand, um, you know it's a lot it's a lot more expensive to buy back that Bitcoin to pay it back. So, you know, you you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have this big arbitrage there for a long time. No, I mean what you're saying is is music to my ears, and this is why I, I was genuinely genuinely curious. I appreciate the clarifying point there. Um, a couple of people in our audience are actually asking if you can share a little bit more details about this conference, uh, where it is, and maybe where they can find a ticket. You can go to riskonevents.com, riskonevents.com, and it's uh, the conference starts. There's a party May 12th, and the conference is 13th and 14th, and then there's a breakfast on the 15th. The real meat of Bitcoin Day is Saturday, and uh, the the prior day, Damon John's going to be there, a bunch of entrepreneurs, sort of real estate stuff. Um, we're, we look, we're trying to look through everything we do with a lens of how can Bitcoin be used. And that's conceptually um, not easy, right? Because you have to explain to people, like a lot of times they say, well, why wouldn't you just use fiat? And I say to them, well, if you think about things becoming more expensive every 14 years or so, the price of pretty much everything doubles, right? For some reason, the price of uh, a hot dog at Costco doesn't double, but the, the price of everything else doubles, right? Uh, and if you try to double your money every 10 years, right? Uh, and, and the price of things double every 14 years, and you really want to do well. So what, the reason I say this is because right now there's a conversation about the decoupling of Bitcoin and how it's really a risk on asset, right? But my argument would be to look at it like Greg talks about it on a linear scale, right? Look at it over a logarithmic scale over time. And over time, it's over the last 12 years, it's been an incredible hedge against inflation. And I would encourage people to not pay attention to the, the market noise, the CNBC, look what Bitcoin's doing in the last six weeks. But say to yourself, really, there's an interview with Greg. I, I do a show called Bitcoin Weekly, which is not as popular as your show and not as good and not and the people on it. I'm not as smart as you guys. But but uh, one of the things that Greg talks about is just think about how big Bitcoin can be in terms of an asset class. And if you thought about like all the total investment in the United States, I think it's like he talked about nine hundred and fifty trillion dollars. The question is, is how much of an asset class does Bitcoin become? And this is where he comes up with his thesis of $2 million of Bitcoin, right? Because he thinks it'll be a $45 billion asset class. Um, and I, if you really think about that, that's trivial relatively to the big scheme of how big, how big Bitcoin could be. With 45 million millionaires around the world, it's not even one Bitcoin a person. It's really, there, there is a, there's an opportunity here for that asset class to become more a part, dominant part of the conversation. I, I don't know that it's gonna be what everyone wants, which is this sort of, uh, this, larger part of the asset class, but there is going to be ways to use Bitcoin, uh, to use Bitcoin, like, like he talked about earlier uh, with Michael Saylor, in all kinds of different scenarios to where you're going to want to have it. You're going to want to have some of it. You're going to want to have something working for you that is not sort of traditional in the way that you're tied to all these other fiat denominated uh, process. And so I really bought into that, that, that idea of trying to get everyone together to talk about their different ideas. Because this, you know, sometimes you go to a seminar, you go to a conference and you feel like, well, I went there and it was fun, but I didn't, I don't, I don't know if I really learned anything different than I already know, I network. But in the Bitcoin world, this is why I watch your program because, I mean, I pay attention to every tweet you guys put out. Believe it or not, every single tweet Bitcoin Magazine puts out, I, I read every single one of them. Um, and the reason why is, is because there's these, it's, it's a, like a melting pot of new ideas and new concepts around how this sort of non-corruptible asset can be used. And therefore, I think you have to get your arms around continually learning about it and learning new things about it because you don't know how it's going to affect you. Um, you know, when you think about Sailor, um, well... The, the 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 blockchain is already being used in the pharmaceutical business, but it, you know there's there's a safety net here around Bitcoin that we haven't even thought of yet. Well, I I think you brought it up earlier. Just the fact that it's a public and open ledger, the fact that everything can be out there and everyone can see. You may not necessarily know that this is my wallet address, but you can see the transactions happening there. 
whatever the pharmaceutical industry is doing is behind so many different closed doors and bureaucratic hurdles that like we'll never actually know what if what they're actually presenting to us is just data that's sort of siloed off to look a certain way. Um, yeah, and you don't, you also don't, you also, if you're a student of history and you think about how long the US has been around and how long we've been taking fiat currency, you'd be a lot more fearful if you understood that there have been times in the US, in the US's existence where only one guy, JP Morgan, saved the economy, right? Where he bought more gold. There, this has been a, uh, there have been moments of time of the system being fragile for long periods of time, right? And um, there's also, you know, to me, the most scary thing is this idea that uh, the government can control your money. I think that that use case obviously scares the government, it scares politicians, but it does empower the average person. I mean, that to me, that's really the trick is that how long and, and how many corrupted things that will politicians do to make it so that eventually an entire generation, like your generation and younger, already know that Bitcoin is safe and secure with them. I mean, I can't even give my I can't even give my kids cash. My 16-year-olds, I have twin boy girl, they don't even know what to do with the cash. If I gave them a hundred dollars, they'd say, uh, can you Venmo me? Can you <laughs> they don't they don't want the they don't want the cash, right? Um so I I I think that this is uh you guys know Alex Svetsky. Have you ever listened to him mm -hmm. at all? Oh, we've had so, him on the show multiple times. Yeah. Good so friend. He, yeah. Yeah. He, he uh, is really hardcore. Uh, and, uh, yeah. uh, and, he, and he said something that effectively Bitcoin was an immaculate conception. It only happened one time. You can't really make it happen again. And so I just think it's a matter of time that there's global adoption of Bitcoin, that, that at the end of the day, you're going to see corrupt practices even by other coins in which you don't really know how many people have and how can they still make them and this sort of like where the 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 number of them expand because of some reason whatever they were like i actually think this whole proof of uh, stake thing with ethereum the second i heard they were going to change their concept and i don't know if this is still going to happen i pay no attention to it the second i heard that they are going to change the way they do it and they're not going to mine I thought to myself, that's exactly living proof as to why I don't want to be part of it. Now, I can understand use, the use case for it, NFTs and smart contracts, but I'm actually all for layer three and hoping that uh, Bitcoin develops their own contracts. That's the better development. I know that there's all kinds of issues with speed and what people, what, what the development community thinks they should do. But the second you can make more of it and do whatever you want with it, and it's effectively a committee, I kind of think that you know, power corrupts eventually, right? So if you have the power to change something, Bitcoin is constant. And you can, you, you think about like a parent that you can rely on. You want something you can rely on over time that you know is, that keeps their word and Bitcoin can keep their word. Bitcoin keeps its word. It doesn't change because you're black or white or because you're rich or poor. It doesn't do anything different. It's just there. <coughs> Chris, you're gonna have to correct me because I always say this wrong. Um, Todd, I want to present to you like one of our colleagues at Bitcoin Magazine, Pete Rizzo, wrote an excellent piece for Forbes, essentially classifying Bitcoin holders into two different groups. The asset maximalists, which view Bitcoin as a new monetary, monetary, monetary yep. maximalist. Thank you. See, I told you guys I was going to mess this up. <laughs> monetary maximalists who view this as like the purest form of money and treat it like an asset class versus the platform maximalists who view the technology and the underlying technology of Bitcoin as what it's really offering the world and changes to that platform are necessary as use cases expand. Of these sort of two groups, where do you sort of see yourself sitting more? Another way <laughs> to think about it is, do you think Bitcoin needs to change to achieve global adoption or do you think it, it can sort of ossify and it's, it's already you know, close to perfect and we just need to maintain it. Other than the speed of transfer, um, I've seen some, you know, where they're, they're transferring live from one place to another part of the world. Other than the speed of transfer, I mean, you probably always have to iterate a little bit as long as the, the basics of the 21 million coin and 
uh, the basics of the network security are are there. I think I think change makes sense, but from a <clears throat> from being able to use it in more global ways and in, in making it easier to use effectively. But I I actually find it pretty easy to use now. So I guess I'm uh, that's a really good question. I haven't really thought of it the way you guys are asking. We will definitely um, be sending you the article so you can uh, take a yeah, look. Yeah, I definitely. I would tell you that, you know, Greg, not everyone works on Wall Street and understands what a credit default swap is, but Greg talks about Bitcoin being the ultimate credit default swap on fiat currency. And a guy who's done this for 33 years, it became very clear to me that Greg is right. And that is Bitcoin itself, putting all of it aside for everyone in the world is a credit default swap on the fiat currency that they use in their own existing country, right? And therefore, it is a um, is a pure asset to offset what they're doing in fiat. And you know, I in my lifetime, I was born in 1969. I remember pumping gas for my mom at 33 cents a gallon. If you just live that. I think I was I think I was 16 years old and I said to myself, wow, if I can make $2000 a month, I can have a car payment, I can rent a rent a rent an apartment and I can be on my own. And if you just follow what fiat's done the last 100 years and then you look at the potential for bitcoin, um I guess monetarily I see it as a credit default swap like Greg does. The use cases for it I don't know that I have to pick one or the other. I'm trying to think about you guys' question. I definitely want to read this article because I think there's a use, there's a case for both as long as it doesn't disrupt the purity of, of the way Bitcoin, um, like I am not for Bitcoin being mined a different way. I'm not for Bitcoin being uh, the network changing. I mean, I guess for security purposes, if there was a sort of supercomputers in the, in the future, maybe there's a reason to upgrade the network. But um, yeah, that's over my pay scale. Fair enough. Um, I do want to now. Oh, Alex, go ahead, please. Yeah. On that note, I I just wanted to ask um, maybe what your def definition was the difference between Bitcoin and all the other uh, cryptocurrencies. Like, what makes it stand out to you? How do you how do you differentiate and how do you treat the other uh, cryptocurrencies that are kind of in some people's mind competing with Bitcoin? Yeah, I just don't think the other coins compete with them. I don't think that you can, yeah, I don't think you can, you can start something and say, I'm going to make a better Bitcoin, right? Um, I think as Alex Svetky talked about, it's the immaculate conception of Bitcoin, how it was created, the time it was created, the use case that it was created for, the purity of it. And then what you see after that is people effectively saying, I can make a better Bitcoin for a profit. Now, maybe there's someone out there that's altruistic and is not really trying to make a profit from it. But I guess no one's saying it's not possible, but you can't create the level of adoption you have with Bitcoin and the, the, all the stories that have taken place with it um, over time. You can't recreate that. There's only one Bitcoin. I mean, there's only one Virgin Mary. There's only one Bitcoin. There's only one... I mean, I would... I, pretty much argue there's only one Google. I mean, granted there was Yahoo, but it wasn't the same thing, right? It wasn't the same concept. I'm not saying there's not use cases for, I've, I've been hearing about uh, Avalanche, people like you know some, some of the technology there. I'm not saying there's not use cases for the technology, the speed of transfer, uh, et cetera. But I've done it long enough to know that there was only one Exxon, there was only one Google, there was only one Microsoft. You can't really put that genie back in the bottle of, of it being created. I mean, if you think about anything newly created now, is it fully decentralized? Is there no one in charge of it? Because if there's any human being in charge of it, if anyone has any say-so that's not already laid out, they're corruptible. And so... I guess I could be, I could see a use case for something that maybe 
somehow was better technology, but not led by one person. I mean, in its purest form, being decentralized, where there's no one that can make choices. I don't know. I, I think that that's uh, uncorruptible. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think that um, that is the distinction from a decentralization as a uh, uh, viewpoint, like that's what classifies all the other cryptocurrencies as securities, they're legally or otherwise, in my mind, they're all um, centralized securities and Bitcoin right. is sovereign property. Yeah, I, I think that when you think about it being sovereign pro property, where it's it's not um, nobody you own a Bitcoin, but you don't own Bitcoin. You can't, I mean, I know there's talk, they talk about this 51% attack, but I, I just don't see that as a scenario that ultimately uh, the, glo the, the global community doesn't own all that Bitcoin, right? It, 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 it's gotten too big, um, too fast. And I think what you probably, not too fast, by the way, it's gotten too big. Um, and it, it will eventually, especially what, you'll, what you're going to see, in my opinion, is when Bitcoin does rally to over 100,000, you will see more mass adoption and a lack of understanding of what it is. And that's, I guess, the most important thing is that people get educated, um, you know, maybe whether it's uh, Michael Saylor's hope.com or something where we can encourage people or this or Bitcoin magazine. I mean, hopefully I see you guys have like 100,000 followers on on YouTube. Um, I know you have more on on other things, but. Uh, hopefully there's there's platforms out there like you guys have that will continue to educate people and make it more and more popular. Because as much as popular it is now, it's really not as popular as it could be, not even close, right? Uh, there's, I think I read a couple months ago that if you own 0.28% of a Bitcoin, so point, you're about in the top 1%, which makes no sense to me, but I, and I don't know that to be absolutely factual, but it does seem like you don't even have to have a Bitcoin to be in the top 1%. I've never been in the top 1% of anything in my life. I'm so happy to hear that. I don't even, I'm not even going to fact check that. I'm just going to accept it. You're, you're so definitely top 1% Bitcoin hosts, Q. So. We're, we're, <laughs> we're very in, small we're, sample pool. We're, in, we're so into educating people on Bitcoin that at the conference, when you come to the conference, we give everyone $100 worth of Bitcoin on our Ernity platform. And then we, we run a full-time BitNow car at the Indy, at the Indy Racing Series uh, with Connor Daly, who's on our platform too. And then um, at the Indy 500, we'll run the BitNow car and we'll be running the Bitcoin racing team, which we have uh, secured with Ed Carpenter. So we're going to be uh, educating people pretty hard on Bitcoin. Uh, and the, so there's a pretty big global community around IndyCar. It's one of the, the number one attended events in the world in terms of live events with about 400,000 people there and about 5 million people watch it live on TV, but in person about 400,000 people at the Indy 500. And we're, we're pretty committed to starting to educate people on uh, Ernity and how simple it is to use it and how people can adopt it. But with volatility is gonna bring a lot of people pouring in and pouring out of it. And so hopefully people like Greg and yourselves can get people to understand that it should be a percentage of their net worth. At least that's where I'm at. I. I love that. And that's all we try to do. We're trying to help everyone out there watching and listening, just learn a little bit more about Bitcoin. None of us will ever say or claim that we're experts. We're all learning in real time and sharing sure. with you guys what we're learning. Um, Todd, one of the things before I keep, I'm going to switch this conversation at a point to mining, but not quite yet. Mm. Um, one of the other things you brought up in the article was you notice a lot of similarities around the broader crypto market and a lot of what you saw during the dot-com bubble. Can you maybe touch on what you are witnessing be recreated? I will admit I was a little too young to be watching the stock market during that time. So during, during the, the dot-com bubble, you eventually could just say, I bought, I added a dot-com. I remember, I'll, I will never forget this, books a million became booksamillion.com and bluefly became bluefly.com. All you had to do was launch a dot-com and these stocks went from 10 bucks to 200 to from five bucks to 150. And it was this euphoria of like, there's how many eyeballs there'll be. And there were .com everything. And you just, you just announced that you had a .com business and you traded like crazy, insane 
I would say it was some some kindred to the meme thing, you know, with with um, with um, GameStop. It was insanity. I mean, I was in stocks that I bought ePay on a Friday at nine dollars, and it opened at one hundred nine on Monday. I watched Amazon.com go up in a in a year and a half period, like pretty much every single day. You know, it was crazy, right? Um, and then ultimately, there was a bust when people realized you were still going to have to get adoption. So stay with me for a second, right? There used to be a period of time where no one would put their credit card on the internet. The idea, I even did it myself. I got pitched an idea called MrMunchie.com, which ultimately I think is, is DoorDash. And Mr. Munchie, this was years and years ago in the early days of the internet. Um, and I just said, hey, I can just pick up the phone and call Pizza Hut. Why would I want to use it over the internet? Back then it was, it was dial up AOL and took five minutes to get online. But the adoption of, of new technology creates a, uh, an imitator and imitators get popular, but if they can't build out a network, they eventually collapse, right? They become not worth anything. And so you see that over time. And when I look at .com and I look at all the different cryptos, there's one Bitcoin and maybe there's Ethereum and there's a few others, but everything else is nonsense. It's just, it's a me too, I got something better, uh, I'll throw money at it, uh, Silicon Valley, I can create something better, I can iterate. But that's, this is, this is, see, if you pay attention really closely to what Warren Buffett says about it ending badly, he's not necessarily talking about Bitcoin as he is the environment of cryptocurrencies ending badly. Because there's not really a use case for unlimited amounts of, you know, I create my own cryptocurrency. Um, I print my, a certain amount for myself. You can see that, by the way, with XRP. I don't know it well enough, so we'll be clear with XRP. But they had a certain amount that they could sell into the marketplace. And so I think Chris earlier said uh, it, was, it was effectively a security. And I, I'm not opining on that at all. I don't know whether it was or it wasn't. But when you can sell into the marketplace, you make it corruptible, right? So all those other cryptos probably have a base amount of crypto themselves held by their institution or their foundation that can sell more crypto. And it's not super transparent. Like I run a public company, we're raising a lot of money, prices down, but people know what we're selling. They know that we're, we're out there actively raising capital over time. Not right now, but you know, in any given day we're could be right now. I don't know. I don't pay attention to it every day, but you know, we have active ways of raising capital, but there's disclosure documents about that. And you can read it with the SEC filings with all these cryptocurrencies you really can't understand what's taking place. You don't really know it's not transparent. And this is why I go back to and say that in the dot-com world, you could just say, I own a dot-com now, the stocks went parabolic, but they didn't survive. The vast majority of them didn't work out. And you see that in Amazon having about 50% of the retail market, right? Because the big ones survived, the ones that are the purest survived, the ones that have the best intent survive, and the ones that don't just don't. And so I, I suspect that there's going to be a scenario where there's going to be uh, tons of cryptocurrency that doesn't survive. I mean, like how much Dogecoin is there? I mean, it, it, I, I, I don't know what Elon, I, listen, I'm not going to question him. He's a smart guy, much smarter than me. And he talks about Dogecoin being the purest way of transferring fast, but there's unlimited amounts of it. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think of a scarcity. I wouldn't think of a store of value. Um, I mean, is he wanted to replace the dollar? See, that, that's where I just disagree. The, the U.S. government, already you kind of already have a digital dollar. You can just transfer it on your phone. I mean, I don't know, really. If you can, if you can make more of it, it's not Bitcoin. I love that. Yeah. That's the quote, guys. If you can make more of it, it's not Bitcoin. Right. I'm sure someone else has said that. <laughs> we're, we're attributing the quote to you for for today I, at least todd <laughs> i appreciate that i appreciate that um i do want to now touch on like the mining efforts that you and your company have been building out you touched on the fact that you guys are using nuclear energy you're exploring other avenues as well i've been very vocal that you know the next iterations both of clean energy capture as well as sort of sending the energy out efficiently are going to just come out of this mining space 
what are you seeing as far as these sort of energy processes and what are you impressed by and what are you sort of turned off by? Well, it is an expensive proposition. We, we have invested, I think, somewhere north of $160 million, $170 million. And imagine we went to Dubai, we already had 1,000 miners, and we bought 19,600 more. And we wrote checks for nearly 100 million Bitcoin, 100 million dollars before we got really the, the next couple main shipments. And right now, we have paid for the vast majority of our miners and only have received about 34% of them. So you have a really heavy upfront capital cost. When you get, the reason why I can tell you there's a lot of value in the network is because if you are in Bitcoin mining, you are expending real energy, time, and money to, to mint those Bitcoin. They are very valuable. There's so few of them left, about less than 2 million now. And you'll be mining till 2140, but mathematically, they're really hard to get, and they cost a lot of money to get. Um, for us owning our own data center, it's pretty profitable from a margin perspective. But the upfront, the, the, the barriers to entry to mine Bitcoin are stratospheric. You just, um, they, the, the cost of a miner, the cost of maintaining them, the co as a public company, the cost of SOX compliance, uh, making sure that your Bitcoin doesn't get stolen, that you track it, you audit it, we, we, it's astronomical in terms of upfront cost. But I see it as a uh, incredibly lucrative necessary commitment to the future of Bitcoin. And I, I see the validation of the network and, and that everyone's validating it, you know, sort of every 10 minutes and all the conceptual technology behind the timing of it and the reward process is, um, it's like the, it's the purest form of, as he said, sovereignty in terms of everyone contributing to the network over time and expending that energy. And no one says it better to me than Michael Saylor. No one expresses that you spent, you send energy over 500 miles, you lose 6%. You store energy every month, you lose 2%. Um, and in Bitcoin, you lose no energy. You don't lose it if you store it. You don't use, use it, you, you, uh, lose it if you use it. You don't lose it if you transfer. Um, you can keep it. You don't have to maintain it. Um, I, I just bought a, a house with my son and, you know, we bought a house, but in order to maintain it, you got to paint it, keep it, upkeep it, pay for taxes that the asset isn't pure. The asset, co it costs money to have the asset with Bitcoin. It doesn't cost money to have the asset. You know, it doesn't cost, you can even argue that if you store your actual gold bar in your home, you risk the asset being stolen. I don't think you have the same risk as Bitcoin being stolen unless you give people access to your password. I mean, there's risk around the password part of it. I admit that part. Um, but even gold takes up a physical space, right? And when you want to sell it, there's a big spread for what you get paid for it. There's not the market that you have today where I can just go digitally sell it really, really quickly. Um, and so therefore, the mining part of it is an extension of energy, and it, it keeps it pure, validated, and access is not easy. Purchasing it is easy. Uh, using it is easy, but accessing, making the Bitcoin isn't. Whereas going back to that conversation earlier about .bomb.com is that you could, you could just print more and decide to print more. With Bitcoin, you got to go get it. You know, it's 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 not easy to get. And one of the key differences is, and I, I'm sure you've heard this a million times, is, you know, if the price of gold doubles to four thousand dollars, there'll be more gold mining. If the price goes uh, a Bitcoin to two hundred thousand, there's still only going to be a certain number of Bitcoin. There's nothing you can do about it, which is why it's it's so valuable. I mean, it's just why it's. I, I don't know anything as pure as Bitcoin. I'm, and I've, I've, I've had to talk myself into that process over like a six or seven year period to understand how pure it became and how like the original concept of it. Have you guys ever interviewed Dr. Frank Albo? No. 
I would encourage you to do it. He was actually hired to write a a hit piece on Satoshi, the, the creator of uh, Satoshi, the creator of Bitcoin. Uh, he was, at, you know, he did a lot of research. Smart guy out of Toronto, professor, PhD, and he actually did so much research that. And he, by the way, I work with him. He's a consultant for our our company. Um, uh, he did so much research that he, he became convinced that not only is it not a scam, but it's the purest asset ever invented in the whole world, ever created. And now he's an advocate for it in some biblical way. And he's a great interview. And uh, he's going to be at the conference. Um, and Dr. Frank Albo is, uh, um, I, I, I just think he's an eclectic thinker about, uh, about Bitcoin. Being hired to write a hit piece and ultimately deciding that he should write about how wonderful Bitcoin is. I mean, that's really, to me, like, and he's as smart as they come, so. I will uh, definitely be hounding one of the members of your team for an introduction. Thank you for that little tip off. For sure. Um, Todd, I'm, I'm a little curious, and I always love asking people who, who operate big mining operations. You talked a little bit about how the margins right now are great. You know, the price of Bitcoin and what the block reward is are very lucrative for miners. Uh, I, however, keep an eye on sort of the happenings as well as just the way Bitcoin's price goes. Right now, based on a 6.25 block reward, is there a, a low threshold where the margin becomes a little bit more dangerous that you are that your team strategy shifts around? Obviously, fully understanding that you may not be able to give us a specific number there. Well, if you're asking what are our margins on Bitcoin, they can be as high as something like around 80%, pretty high. Yeah, wow. we're, we're mining uh, very competitively. Um, we've actually published this. So it's not, the margins, I think are as low as 67, depending on, on difficulty and where our sort of our forecast. But I think we run around 80% margins. Um, that can change, obviously. Difficulty can go up, the price can go down. Um, but I choose to believe with the having and the global demand for Bitcoin that you're going to have a higher price, that you're ultimately, the algorithm sets the price higher over time because demand will be there. Um, and I don't think there's any other provable point than what it costs. We're building a, a building, an apartment building in St. Petersburg, Florida. And we bought the property in December. We had a budget of 120 million. And with the increase in cost, that budget is approaching 150 million now. So now you probably say, well, how can you afford to spend more money on product services and equipment, and all the stuff you need, uh, the resources you need to build a building? Um, rents are higher, right? Uh, rents are a lot higher. And it, it will be a natural occurrence that as you see it, an inflated US dollar, you're going to see a, um, a move in Bitcoin that could be exponential, right? I think the next move in Bitcoin is to like, goes through 69,000 and you wake up one day and Bitcoin's over 100 and people are just like, cannot, they won't be able to like, They'll, they'll be falling on themselves for it. And then you know that, you know, that having, which is coming, um, will, it will only make sense over time um, that the, the commodity, the, the cost of, of, of Bitcoin, it really can't stay where it, where it is. And that'll happen more and more. It'll become more dominant as other cryptos fail, other, other small ones go, go by the wayside. You know, as people uh, using quoting Alex Vetsky, the shit coins go away and everyone's only in Bitcoin. So anyways, Alex was very direct. He's going to be on my podcast, I think, uh, in a couple of days. He was very direct on that show. I was very, <laughs> uh, he doesn't yes. hold back. He doesn't hold he, back. He has a tongue on him to say the least. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm curious, how much of the China mining ban open the doors for, in your opinion, the doors for American mining operations to really expand and become what they have become over the course of the last almost two years now. We're coming up on two years since China banned mining Bitcoin. Well, I think in the, in the beginning, they said, oh, 
China man bit, mine, banned Bitcoin uh, six or seven other times. But when we found out they were serious, um, I think it, it was the it was 80 percent of the reason why maybe even more why the door opened um, other political instability. But the Chinese effectively pushed Bit, Bitmain and other miners to come here. I mean, we bought just to be clear, we bought miners from people who had contracts that were going to take delivery in China that couldn't. And we bought we bought their miners because they had no place to put them. Um, and for us, it has effectively uh, paved the way for us to be here. Um, the Chinese did, did the U.S. A, a huge favor, and they should extend the favor of the U.S. by buying Bitcoin and putting on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. They should buy a trillion dollar or half a trillion, trillion dollar, or half a trillion, sorry, not a trillion, a half a trillion worth of Bitcoin. Buy it over time. Start putting on your balance sheet, and you'll see the asset class grow, and the, and the U.S. will continue to be a dominant player there. That's that's my opinion. I don't know why the I don't know why the U.S. wouldn't want. They're the dominant reserve world currency, right? The petrodollar, dollars backed by bullets. You got to pay for everything in oil. And why would they not want to have a large portion on their balance sheet of the dominant digital reserve currency, which will be Bitcoin? Music to my ears. Well, I mean, if you think about it. If they don't do it they will not be participating in something that will be the digital reserve. They, in, in fact, believe me, I don't want the U.S. to do anything to mess around with Bitcoin. But the more people argue, the more governments argue that you shouldn't have it, the more it's going to become dominant. The more the, the, the public is smarter than they used to be. You got to remember, I don't know how old you are, but there was a time where social media didn't exist and you didn't have the plethora of news. From the start to the finish of something, it is like around the world in 15 minutes, right? And the public is becoming more educated, and there's more pronounced voices when the U.S., when the, any government tries to take away something from someone. I mean, <clears throat> you're seeing that kind of living proof with what's happening in Ukraine. The, the Russians thought they would walk into the Ukraine. What they walked into was a buzzsaw of, of drone attacks and technology that could be operated from a phone and Elon Musk sending over Starlink. The control of everybody is being fought back by something like Bitcoin. And that the more and more people, you know, they use Bitcoin to, uh, to help, help people in Ukraine, the more and more it's used in a way. We had a political narrative, didn't we? The Russians are transferring their Bitcoin. The oligarchs are hiding their bit. That's just not true. That's just nonsense. Then maybe there was some selling, but who cares? You know, it's, it's, it's nonsense. I'm curious your thoughts. We, we touched on this at the very beginning of the show, just, you know, the hacks did not actually happen on the Bitcoin network itself. It was happening at these uh, exchanges and on these sort of centralized points where an attack vector can come in and hack someone through this exchange. We saw conversations happening over in Canada and even over in Russia and Ukraine where legislators were calling upon exchanges to shut down access to citizens. We've seen some exchanges and some companies follow suit and others have been very vocal and saying that that is antithetical to what Bitcoin is and does. Yes, you open the door for anyone to access the network, but my belief is that's the point. I love your thoughts on this idea that you know, U.S. legislators are coming down on U.S.-based companies to potentially shut down access in these foreign nations. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a tough thing. Um, the government has used 9-11, what happened in 2001, and the Patriot Act. And they've weaponized everything to be money laundering, everything to be KYC, everything to be illegal, they everyone's a money launderer. I, it, it's really I, I'll, I'll give you uh, I'll give you case in point. We as a company have had multiple bank accounts shut down at Wells Fargo, at U.S. Bank. I can name institutions that saw that we were in Bitcoin mining and basically closed our accounts. Right now, they're allowed to do that. They can do business. There are private companies, uh, even public companies, but they're a private company in the sense they're not owned by the government. They can decide who they want to do business with. A lot of people say they burn flags and they have free speech and they can say things that we don't like as a government. But when the government tries to shut them down and stop them for the greater good, it's very dangerous to be able to say, we're not going to let people tra uh, transact unless we let them transact the way we want. And so 
you know, it's somewhat like the gun laws in this country too. And that is for the freedom of having a gun in Nevada, there are occasionally people that use them in a poor way. And to control the few, you should not limit the many. And so any politician, anybody who has any vested interest in controlling the outcome, like I'm in charge now, so I'm going to not let my opponents use Bitcoin the way, because my, my, my political party doesn't use Bitcoin the same way you guys use it. Um, it's, it's really hard to say, but in its purest form, I think that, that uh, you can go get a court order, you can go try someone, um, you, can, you can get injunctive relief very quickly to stop someone from moving their Bitcoin. The government should be forced to do that kind of thing and not just say, we can stop you from doing things whenever we want. So it, it's got to go through a judicial process still. And even if that means people slip away, they slip away. It's not a perfect uh, scenario. You can, there are, there are companies out there that can track wallets and where money goes. And ultimately you can track that. Um, so for, I think for the sake of, of freedom, um, you unfortunately have to uh, uh, limit the government's role in power corrupts, right? You've seen this in Canada where they didn't like certain things. So they shut your bank account down or they froze your bank account down. That's only more of a use case for Bitcoin. I don't know if I answered your question. No, you you did. I, I I really appreciated that perspective too, because I mean, you're absolutely right. It it seems like there was definitely a period of time where everything just fell under the umbrella of, well, the Patriot Act lets us do this. Uh, and it seems like we figured out ways to extrapolate that into our global business, where in, in all honesty, sometimes we have no business being involved or having a say in what's going on. Um, I'm curious your thoughts also going back to the China of it all, we're seeing a lot of issues with supply chain and that's been a big issue now coming up on a year. Um, it was brought up that, you know, all the miners in general are hoping to reach over 300 megahertz for um, their, the total hash rate by the end of this year. There's still some constraints and now some questions around will miners actually receive these new miners in time are you guys feeling these constraints at all? Are you guys seeing supply chain issues as far as any hardware getting sent over to you? We've been having uh, pretty big supply chain issues on, on transformers, on copper cable, uh, wiring harnesses, stuff like that. But uh, Bitmain has been able to deliver the miners to us on time. We have been getting them on a regular basis. Um, they ship them to us from Indonesia, Malaysia, um, Singapore, they don't ship them from China for sure. <laughs> no question about that. We haven't seen issues with them. They've been delivering, but keep in mind, we only ordered 20,600 of them. We get right now, we get about 2,300 S19 J pros a month. Now, uh, we'll get that for the next six months or so. And then starting, I believe in July or August, we'll get the S19 XPs, the 140 terahash. And we'll have completed our install by October of all 20,600 miners, about 2.4 exahash. In theory, if, if we were to get them done right now by October, we could be 1% of the global hash rate. I don't know if we will be or not, because um, it depends. It, it, there are people fooling around with a little bit. You can see during the summertime, some people shutting down in Texas, and I don't know what's happening in Kazakhstan. Um, but we haven't had trouble getting delivery yet and hopefully we don't but i do think that you have trouble um there was a time where there was pretty a lot of trouble with concern that you get chipsets and that they'd be able to deliver and i don't know that that's not still an issue um but when we bought you know we bought the first thousand miners when bitcoin was probably thirty-two thousand. Uh, after our, we still had the S19 or S9 still running from five years ago, believe it or not, believe it or not, people still run them. Um, we, we, uh, we just sold a bunch of them, I think 1700 of them or something to a group that's probably running them for dirt cheap, making a dollar a day or something. I don't know. I don't know what they'd be doing with them. Maybe immersing them or something like that. We haven't really had an issue other than hardware. We've had an issue with copper cables and transformers that's transformers have been really difficult to get 
uh, that's probably been our, been our biggest delay. Got it. Todd, I'm realizing we're, we're a little over time and I don't want to keep stealing you. Where can our audience learn more about you? Stay up to date. I know you mentioned you have a podcast and the conference coming up in Vegas. And that's going to be May 12th through the 14th for anyone else well, who's they going can, to try to go. They can find me on Instagram. It's Todd Alt, T-O-D-D-A-U-L-T. They can find me on Twitter, uh, Todd Alt with three big eyes because I'm the third Todd Alt, the third. That, those accounts are verified. My Twitter and my Instagram are verified. Um with the blue check. And then um, obviously bitnile.com is available. Uh, risk on events. Uh, you just put in my name. You'll, you'll, you'll pretty much, you'll figure me out there. We're pretty active out there in social and stuff like that. But I, awesome. I appreciate, I appreciate being on your show, Chris. Thank you so much too, everybody. I follow you guys a lot. So hopefully you guys continue to grow. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Todd. We will uh, be sure to continue this conversation soon enough, man. Oh.